irreverent, entertaining, cool. You're listening to LA Talk Radio. You can support Sapphire Planet by visiting the online store at sapphireplanet.com. Welcome. Your journey is just beginning. You are now entering the Sapphire Planet. You are now in the Sapphire Planet. A human mission to Mars has been the subject of science fiction, engineering, and scientific proposals throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century. The plans comprise proposals to land on Mars, eventually settling on and terraforming the planet while exploiting its moons, Phobos and Deimos. Exploration of Mars has been a goal of national space programs for decades. Preliminary work for missions that would involve human explorers has been undertaken since the 1950s with planned missions typically being cited as taking place 10 to 30 years in the future when they are drafted. The list of manned Mars mission plans in the 20th century show the various mission proposals that have been put forth by multiple organizations and space agencies in this field of space exploration. In terms of current U.S. space program, NASA's long-term program Orion has a projected pace of development such that, as of late 2014, human spaceflight to Mars is anticipated in about the year 2035. That mission will proceed by shorter flights for the up to four-person capsule involved with experiments taking place to better the technology protecting Mars-bound astronauts from the radiation of deep space. In fiction, the concept of humans traveling to and terraforming Mars has been explored in books, graphic novels, and films. Examples include the Mars trilogy, Total Recall, Red Planet, and Ghost of Mars. 
The appeal of space travel to the planet is a major aspect to Mars in fiction. Traveling to Mars. In interplanetary travel, the energy needed for transfer between planetary orbits is lowest at intervals fixed by the synodic period. For Earth-Mars trips, this is every 26 months, which is also two years and two months in time. So missions are typically planned to coincide with one of these launch windows. The energy needed in a low-energy windows varies on roughly a 15-year cycle, with the easiest windows needing only half the energy of the peaks. In the 20th century, there was a minimum in the 1969 and 1971 launch windows and another low in 1986 and 1988. Then the cycle repeated. Several types of mission plans have been proposed, such as the Opposition Class and Conjunction Class, or the Croco Flyby. However, typical Mars mission plans have round-trip flight times of up to 400 to 450 days. A fast Mars mission of 245 days round-trip could be possible with on-orbit staging. Using Hoffman transfer orbits is a common plan. In the year 2014, ballistic capture was proposed, which may reduce fuel cost and provide more flexible launch windows compared to Hohmann. There are several key challenges for human missions to Mars. First is the cost of sending people to Mars. Estimates have ranged from $6 billion to $500 billion for manned Mars programs. Second, there's health threats from exposure to high-energy cosmic rays and other ionizing radiation. On May 31, 2013, NASA scientists reported that a possible manned mission to Mars may involve a great radiation risk based on the amount of energetic particle radiation detected by the RAD on the Mars Science Laboratory while traveling from the Earth to Mars in 2011 to 2012. The calculated radiation dose was 0.66 sieverts round trip. NASA's career radiation limit for an astronaut is one sievert. Third, there's the negative effect of prolonged low-gravity environment on human health, including possible eyesight loss. Fourth, there's the psychological effects of isolation from Earth, and by extension, the lack of community due to impossibility of real-time connections with Earth. Five, social effects of several humans living under crowded conditions for more than one Earth year, possibly as many as two or three on the mission to Mars and a comparable length of time on the return to Earth. Six, inaccessibility of terrestrial medical facilities. Seven, 
equipment failure of propulsion or life support systems. 8. Forward contamination of potential habitable zones on Mars, meaning we might bring a bacteria or some sort of species to Mars inadvertently. And finally, 9. Back contamination of Earth with possible Martian microbes, which is just the opposite. It means we're bringing microbes or bacteria back from Mars to the Earth, and we don't know if those would be lethal to humans or plants or animals. While fuel for round-trip travel could be a challenge, methane and oxygen can be produced using Martian H2O, preferably as water ice instead of liquid water, and atmospheric CO2 if we can come up with the technology. There have been many mission proposals just in the 20th century alone. From the 40s through the 50s, Werner von Braun proposed, and his proposals were very interesting. In fact, Werner von Braun was the first person to make a detailed technical study of a Mars mission. Details were published in his book Das Mars Project in 1952, and then published in English as The Mars Project, 10 years later in 1962, and several subsequent works. And he was featured in Collier's magazine in a series of articles beginning in March 1952. A variant of the Von Braun mission concept was popularized in English by Wiley Lay in the book The Conquest of Space, written in 1949. Von Braun's Mars Project envisioned nearly a thousand three-stage vehicles launching from Earth to ferry parts for the Mars mission to be constructed at a space station in Earth orbit. The mission itself featured a fleet of ten spacecraft with a combined crew of 70 astronauts heading to Mars, bringing three winged surface excursion ships that would land horizontally on the surface of Mars. I know what you're thinking. Winged ships won't work landing on Mars because there's no atmospheres. You are correct. However, winged landings was considered possible because at the time of his proposal, the Martian atmosphere was believed to be much denser than was later found to be the case. In the 1956 revised vision of the Mars Project Plan, published in his book The Exploration of Mars by Werner Braun Vaughan, the size of the mission was trimmed, requiring only 400 launches to put together two ships still carrying a winged landing vehicle. Later versions of the mission proposal featured in the Disney Man in Space film series showed nuclear-powered ion propulsion vehicles for the interplanetary crews. Von Braun 
wasn't the only one making proposals. In the 1950s and the 1960s, the U.S. government was making proposals as well. In 1962, Aeronutronic Ford, General Dynamics, and the Lockheed Missiles and Space Company made studies of Mars missions designs as part of NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center project, Empire. These studies indicated that a Mars mission possibly including a Venus flyby, could be done with the launch of eight Saturn V boosters and assembling in low Earth orbit, or possibly with a single launch of a hypothetical post-Saturn heavy lift vehicle. Although the Empire missions were only studies and never proposed as funded projects, these were the first detailed analysis of what it would take to accomplish a human voyage to Mars using data from actual NASA spaceflight and laid much of the basis for future studies, including significant mission studies by TRW, North American, Philco, Lockheed, Douglas, and General Dynamics, along with several in-house NASA studies. Following the success of the Apollo program, von Braun advocated a manned mission to Mars as a focus for NASA's manned space program. Von Braun's proposal used Saturn V boosters to launch nuclear-powered upper stages that would power two six-crew-member spacecraft on a dual mission in the early 1980s. The proposal was considered by then-President Richard Nixon, but passed over in the last minute in favor of the space shuttle. The U.S. and von Braun weren't the only ones doing Mars proposals. The Soviet mission proposals from 1956 through the 70s were very unique. The Martian Piloted Complex, or MPK, was proposed by Mikhail Tikhonorov of the Soviet Union for a manned Mars expedition using the then-proposed but not yet built N-1 rocket in studies from 1956 through 1962. Heavy interplanetary spacecraft, known by the Russian acronym TMK was the designation of a Soviet Union space exploration proposal in the 1960s to send a manned flight to Mars and Venus without landing. The TMK spacecraft was due to launch in 1971 and make a three-year-long flight, including a Mars flyby, at which time probes would have been dropped. The TMK project was planned as an answer from the Soviet Union to the United States man-moon landings. The project was never completed because the required N-1 rocket never flew successfully. Following the Viking missions from 1981 to 1996 there were other proposals 
and their series of conferences named The Case for Mars were held at the University of Colorado at Boulder. These conferences advocated human exploration of Mars, presented concepts and technologies, and held a series of workshops to develop a baseline concept for the mission. The baseline concept was notable that it proposed use of in-situ resources utilization to manufacture rocket propellant for their return trip to the resources using the resources of Mars. The mission study was published in a series of preceding volumes published by the American Astronomical Society. Later, conferences in the series presented a number of alternative concepts, including the Mars Direct concept of Robert Zerbin and David Baker, the Footsteps to Mars proposal of Jeffrey A. Landis, which proposed intermediate steps before landing on Mars, including human missions to Phoebos, and the Great Exploration Proposal from Lawrence Livermore National Laboratory, among others. NASA's Space Exploration Initiative in 1989 In response to a presidential initiative, NASA made a study of the fall of the project for human lunar and Mars exploration as a proposed follow-on to the International Space Station project. This resulted in a report called the 90-Day Study, in which the agency proposed a long-term plan consisting of completing the space station as a critical next step in all our space endeavors, returning to the moon and establishing a permanent base, and then sending astronauts to Mars. This report was widely criticized as too elaborate and expensive, and all the funding for human exploration beyond Earth orbit was canceled by Congress. Next is a very popular proposal called Mars Direct. Mars Direct is a proposal for a manned mission to Mars that is designed to be both cost-effective and possible with current technology. It was originally detailed in a research paper by NASA engineers Robert Zubrin and David Baker in 1990, and later expanded upon in Zubrin's 1996 book, The Case for Mars. It now serves as a staple for advocacy for a trip to and back from Mars. On July 20th, 1989, George H.W. Bush, the President of the United States, announced plans for what came to be known as the Space Exploration Initiative, or SIA. In a speech on the steps of the National Air and Space Museum, He described long-term plans which would culminate in a manned mission to the surface of Mars. By December 1990, a study to estimate the project's cost determined that long-term expenditure would total approximately $450 billion 
spread over 20 to 30 years. The 90-day study, as it became to known, evoked a hostile congressional reaction towards the Space Exploration Initiative, given that it would have required the largest single government expenditure since World War II. Within a year, all funding requests for the Space Exploration Initiative had been denied. Dan Golden became NASA Administrator on April 1, 1992, officially abandoning plans for near-term human exploration beyond Earth orbit with a shift towards a faster, better, cheaper strategy for robotic exploration. While working at Martin Marietta, designing interplanetary mission architectures, Robert Zubrin perceived a fundamental flaw with the Space Exploration Initiative program. Zubrin came to understand that NASA's plan was to be fully utilized as many technologies as possible in support of sending a mission to Mars. It would become politically untenable. In his own words, he said, this is the exact opposite of the correct way to do engineering. Zubin's alternative to this Battlestar Galactica mission strategy, dubbed so by its detractors for the large nuclear-powered spaceships that supposedly resembled the science fiction spaceship of the same name, involved a longer surface stay, a faster flight path in the form of a conjunction-class mission, in-situ resource utilization, and craft launched directly from the surface of the Earth to Mars, as opposed to being assembled in orbit or by a space-based dry dock. After receiving approval from management at Marietta, a 12-man team with the company began to work out details of the mission. While they focused primarily on more traditional mission architectures, Zubrin began to collaborate with colleague David Baker's extremely simple, stripped-down, and robust strategy. Their goal was to use local resources, travel light, and live off the land. That became the hallmark of Mars Direct. This is what the mission would have looked like. The first launch. The first flight of the Ares rocket, not to be confused with the similar name rocket of the now defunct Constellation program, would bring an unmanned Earth return vehicle to Mars after a six-month cruise phase with a supply of hydrogen, a chemical plant, and a small nuclear reactor. Once there, a series of chemical reactions would be used to combine a small amount of hydrogen carried by the Earth return vehicle with the carbon dioxide of the Martian atmosphere to create up to 100 tons of methane and oxygen. This relatively simple chemical engineering procedure was utilized regularly in the 19th and 20th century, and that would only ensure that only 7% of the return propellant would be needed to be carried to the surface of Mars. 96 tons of methane and oxygen would be needed to send the Earth return vehicle on a trajectory back home at the conclusion of the surface stay. 
The rest would be available for Mars rovers. The process of generating fuel is expected to require approximately 10 months to complete. Then comes the second launch. Some 26 months after the Earth return vehicle is originally launched from Earth, a second vehicle, the Mars Habitat Unit, would be launched on a six-month-long low-energy transfer trajectory to Mars and would carry a crew of four astronauts. This would be the minimum number required so the team could be split up in two without leaving anyone alone. The Habitat unit would not be launched until the automated factory aboard the ERV had signaled the successful production of chemicals required for operation on the planet and the return trip to Earth. During the trip, artificial gravity would be generated by tethering the Habitat unit to the spent upper stage of the booster and setting them rotating about a common axis. This rotation would produce a comfortable 1G working environment for the astronauts, freeing them of the delibitating effects of long-term exposure to weightlessness. Upon reaching Mars, the upper stage would be jettisoned, with the habitat unit aerobraking into Mars' orbit before soft landing in proximity to the Earth return vehicle. Precise landing would be supported by radar beacon started in the first lander. Once on Mars, the crew would spend 18 months on the surface, carrying out a range of scientific research, aided by a small rover vehicle carried aboard their Mars habitat unit and powered by the methane produced by the Earth return vehicle. To return to Earth, the crew would use the Earth return vehicle, leaving the Mars Habitat unit for the possible use of subsequent explorers. On the return trip to Earth, the propulsion stage of the Earth return vehicle would be used as a counterweight to generate artificial gravity for the trip back. Follow-up missions could be dispatched at two-year intervals, to Mars to ensure that a redundant ERV would be on the surface at all times, waiting to be utilized by the next crew mission or the current crew in an emergency. Such an emergency scenario, the crew would trek hundreds of kilometers to the other Earth return vehicle in their long-range vehicles. The plan involves several launches making heavy lift boosters of similar size to the Saturn V used for the Apollo mission, which would potentially be derived from space shuttle components. This proposed rocket is dubbed Ares, which would utilize space shuttle advanced solid rocket boosters, a modified shuttle external tank, and a new liquid oxygen, liquid hydrogen, third stage for a trans-Mars injection of the payload. Ares would put 121 tons into a 300-kilometer circular orbit and boost 47 tons towards Mars. The Earth return vehicle is a two-stage vehicle. 
The upper stage comprises the living accommodations for the crew during their six-month return trip to Earth from Mars. The lower stage contains the vehicle's rocket engines and small chemical production plant. The Mars Habitat Unit is a two- or three-deck vehicle providing a comprehensive living and working environment for a Mars crew. In addition to individual sleeping quarters, which provide a degree of privacy for each of the crew and a place for personal effects, the Mars Habitat Unit includes a communal living area, a small galley, exercise area, and hygiene facilities with closed-circle water purification. The lower deck of the Mars Habitat Unit provides the primary working space for the crew. Small laboratory areas for carrying out geology, geology and life science research. Storage space for samples. Airlocks for reaching the surface of Mars. And a suiting up area where crew members prepare for surface operations. Protection from harmful radiation while in space on the surface of Mars, for example, solar flares, would be provided by a dedicated storm shelter in the core of the vehicle. The Mars Habitat Unit would also include a small pressurized rover that is stored on the lower deck area and assembled on the surface of Mars. Powered by a methane engine, it is designed to extend the range over which astronauts can explore the surface of Mars to about 320 kilometers. Since it was first proposed as part of Mars Direct, the Mars Habitat Unit has been adopted by NASA as part of their Mars Design Reference Mission, which utilizes two Mars Habitat Units, one which flies to Mars unmanned, providing a dedicated laboratory facility on Mars, together with the capacity to carry a larger rover vehicle. The second Mars Habitat Unit flies to Mars with the crew, its interior given over completely to living and storage space. To prove the viability of the Mars Habitat Unit, the Mars Society has implemented a Mars Analog Research Station program, which has established a number of prototype Mars Habitat Units around the world. So, how did this go over with the U.S. government and NASA? Baker pitched the Mars Direct at the Marshall Space Flight Center in April of 1990, where reception was very positive. Flown around the country, the engineers' plans generated significant interest. When their tour culminated in a demonstration at the National Space Society, they received a standing ovation. The the plan gained rapid media attention shortly afterwards. Resistance to the plan came from teams within NASA working on the space station and advanced propulsion concepts as their work would no longer be required to reach Mars. The NASA administration rejected Mars direct. Zubrin remained committed to the strategy and, after parting with David Baker, attempted to convince the new NASA administration of Mars Direct Merits in 1992. 
After being granted a small research fund at Martin Marietta, Zubrin and his colleagues successfully demonstrated an in-situ propellant generator, which achieved the efficiency of 94%. No chemical engineers partook of the development of the demonstration hardware. After showing the positive results to Johnson Space Center, the NASA administration still held several reservations about the plan. In November 2003, Zubrin was invited to speak to the U.S. Senate Committee on the Future of Space Exploration. Two months later, the Bush administration announced the creation of the Constellation Program, a manned spaceflight initiative with the goal of sending humans to the moon by 2020. While a Mars mission was not specifically detailed, a plan to reach a Mars based on utilizing the Orion spacecraft was tentatively developed for implementation in the years of the 20s, 30s. The program funding was denied in 2011 by the Obama administration, and the Constellation program ended. There are a variety of psychological and sociological issues affecting long-duration expeditionary space missions. Early human spaceflight missions to Mars are expected to have significant psychosocial problems to overcome, as well as provide considerable data for refining mission design, mission planning, and crew selection for future missions. Now there's what's called a Mars Semi-Direct. Mars Semi-Direct is a modified version of Mars Direct in response to some specific criticisms. This mission consists of three spacecrafts and include a Mars Ascent Vehicle. The Earth Return Vehicle remains in Mars orbit for the return journey, while the unmanned Mars Ascent Vehicle lands and manufactures propellant for the ascent back up to Mars orbit. The Mars Semi-Direct architecture has been used as the basis of a number of studies, including the NASA design reference missions. When subject to the same cost analysis as the 90-day report, Mars Semi-Direct was predicted to cost $55 billion over 10 years capable of fitting into the existing NASA budget. With the potential of imminent advent of low-cost heavy lift capabilities, it has been positioned a dramatically lower-cost manned Mars vision utilizing hardware developed by space transport company SpaceX. In this simpler plan, a crew of two could be sent to Mars by a single Falcon Heavy launch. The Dragon spacecraft acting as their interplanetary cruise habitat. Additional living space for their journey would be enabled through the use of inflatable add-on modules if required. The problems associated with long-term weightlessness would be addressed in the same manner as the baseline Mars Direct Plan. 
a tether between the dragon habitat and the trans-Mars injection stage acting to allow rotation of the craft. The dragon's heat shield characteristics would allow for a safe descent if landing rockets of sufficient power were made available. Research at NASA's Ames Research Center has demonstrated that a robotic dragon would be capable of fully propulsive landings on the Martian surface. On the surface, the crew would have at their disposal two Dragon spacecraft with inflatable modules as habitats, two Earth return vehicles, and two Mars ascent vehicles, and eight tons of cargo. There is one other alternative for the Mars Direct program. It's a modified proposal called Mars for Less and has been adopted as the design reference mission for a new umbrella group of advocates, the Mars Drive Consortium. The design retains most of the essential features of Mars Direct, but uses multiple medium-lift rocket launchers that are commercially available today such as the Ariane 5 or the Delta rocket, to launch crew vehicles and their propulsion separately and mate them in orbit. By doing so, the multi-billion dollar development cost of new launch vehicle is avoided. However, the orbital rendezvous required, while potentially reducing costs, has inherent risks. A modified proposal called Mars to Save Mars to stay involves not returning the first immigrant explorers immediately or even ever. It is suggested that the cost of sending four or six person team could be one fifth to one tenth the cost of returning that same four or six person team. Depending on the precise approach taken, a quite complete lab could be sent and landed for less than the cost of sending back even 50 kilos of Martian rocks. 20 or more persons could be sent for the cost of returning just four. Mars-to-stay missions propose astronauts sent to Mars for the first time should intend to stay. Unused emergency return vehicles would be recycled into settlement construction as soon as the habitability of Mars becomes evident to initial pioneers. Mars-to-stay missions are advocated both to reduce cost and to ensure permanent settlement of Mars. Among the many notable Mars-to-stay advocates our former Apollo astronaut Buzz Aldrin has been particularly outspoken, suggesting in numerous forums, forget the moon, let's head to Mars. And on June 13, 2013, the call of Mars, in which Aldrin promoted a manned mission to homestead Mars and become a two-planet species. The Mars Underground, Mars Homestead Foundation, Mars One, Mars artist community, advocacy groups, 
and business organizations have also adopted Mars to Stay policy initiatives. The earliest formal outline of a Mars to Stay mission, architecture, was given at the Case for Mars 6 workshop in the 1990s during a presentation by George Herbert titled One Way to Mars. Since returning the astronauts from the surface of Mars is one of the most difficult parts of a Mars mission. The idea of a one-way trip to Mars has been proposed several times. Under Mars to Stay mission architecture, the first humans to travel to Mars would typically be in six-member teams. After this initial landing, subsequent missions would raise the number of persons on Mars to 30, thereby beginning a Martian settlement. Since the Martian surface offers all the natural resources and elements necessary to sustain a robust, mature, industrialized human settlement, unlike, for example, the moon, a permanent Martian settlement is thought to be the most effective way to ensure that humanity becomes a space-faring, multi-planet species. Through the use of digital fabricators, and virtual fertilization, it is assumed a permanent human settlement on Mars can grow organically from an original 30 to 40 pioneers. A Mars to Stay mission following the proposal would enlist astronauts in the following timeline. Age 30, an offer to help settle Mars is extended to selected pioneers. Age 30 to 35, training and social conditioning for long-duration isolation and time-delay communications. Age 35, launch three married couples to Mars, followed in subsequent years by dozen or more couples. Age 35 to 65, development of sheltered underground living spaces. Artificial insemination ensures genetic diversity. Age 65, An offer to return to Earth or retire on Mars is given to the first-generation settlers. As Aldrin has said, who knows what advances will have taken place. The first generation can retire there, or maybe we can bring them back. To boldly go a one-way human mission to Mars... No moon base is needed. Given the broad variety of resources available on Mars, the long-term survival of Martian settlers is much more feasible than lunar settlers. Since Mars affords neither an ozone shield nor magnetosphere protection, robots would prepare a basic modular base inside near-surface lava tubes and ice caves for human settlers. A volunteer signing up for a one-way mission to Mars would do so with the full understanding that they will not return to Earth. Mars exploration would proceed for a long time on the basis of outbound journeys only. The first human contingent would consist of crew of four, if budget permits, 
distributed between two two-man spacecraft for mission redundancy. Over time, humans on Mars would increase with follow-up missions. Several subsurface biospheres would be created until there was 150-plus individuals in a viable gene pool. Genetic engineering would further contribute to the health and longevity of settlers. As astronauts would be sent, supplies from Earth regularly. This proposal was picked up for discussion in a number of public sources. There is one other uh, Mars one-way, Mars-to-stay proposal. It's called Mars One. In 2012, a new proposal for a one-way human settlement mission to Mars was put forward by Mars One, a private spaceflight project led by the Dutch to establish a permanent human colony on Mars. Mars One is a Dutch not-for-profit foundation. The plan is to send a communication satellite and Pathfinder lander to the planet by 2016 and, after several stages, land four humans on Mars for permanent settlement in 2023. A new set of four astronauts would then arrive every two years. There have been 200,000 applications, of which 1,058 succeeded the first qualification round. But as the initial stages, there is funding for no more than Earth-based reality television shows. It is hoped that reality television would generate the funding for the project. In response to feedback following the Mars Colony 2030 project, so if the factor is presenting no health issues, so that at the end of each 550-day period, during a conjunction class launch window, no adverse health effects were observed, settlers would continue research and construction through another 550-day period. In the meantime, additional crews and supplies would continue to arrive, starting their own 550-day evaluation periods. So basically what they're saying is a crew would spend 550 days on the surface. And if they were okay, then we'd leave them there. But if there was any problems, we'd bring them back. Health tests would be repeated during the subsequent 550-day periods until the viability of human life on Mars was proven. Once determined that humans can live on Mars without negative health effects, emergency return vehicles would be recycled into permanent research bases. Your journey is now ending. You are now leaving the Sapphire Planet.
Goodbye from the Sapphire Planet. Own a piece of the planet. Now you can purchase Sapphire Planet merchandise online at sapphireplanet.com.